0: Welcome to the How Fitting podcast, where you'll hear from independent fashion designers and entrepreneurs about how they grow their business, making clothes that fit their customer and values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Terry Stepanovich, the CEO and co founder of the Collective Thread. Welcome to the show, Terry. Thank you, Allison. It's good to be here. Yeah, for those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, Could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Yes. So as you said, I'm the CEO and founder of The Collective Thread, and we are located in um, downtown St. Louis, Missouri. Um, We are in the old garment district in St. Louis, which used to be a thriving, um, bustling area for uh, garment production. And it's a very historic and beautiful area of downtown. Um, we moved here about two years ago. The organization, the Collective Thread um, was prior um, faith that works and so I started the organization as a nonprofit 501c3 in um, 2009. And we've worked globally um, addressing global issues uh, that women face, abject poverty, sex trafficking, um, displaced people groups. And my heart's desire was always just to empower women and find ways for um, sustainable and livable wages for women to be able to really stand on their own and provide um, needs that they had for their families and for themselves and their community. And um, really witnessed a lot of that in the Somali refugee camps I worked in early on in the um, conception of the nonprofit. Um, At the same time, we were always working with immigrants here in St. Louis and really had a heart for our city. And that's kind of how it started. I'm the mother of uh, six children. I'm married to Steve and um, five of my children are girls. And so just really having a heart for um, women and issues of um, gender inequality and things that I saw with my own daughters. Uh, Three of them played high level sports and I saw a lot of things there that were a little disturbing. And um, yeah, just really had a heart for, you know, women's issues. Um, I'm just a firm believer that empowering someone economically is a way to really change their life. Um, You know, you can give someone, you know, a cup of water or a meal and, you know, they'll be hungry again tomorrow. And I saw that in the nonprofit world that, um, although very noble and gallant, what a lot of nonprofits are doing Um, to help people and give them basic needs, you know, they live another day to see those needs going unmet if that nonprofit doesn't keep up those services. And so I really didn't see that as sustainable. Um, It was a little bit frustrating the first five years or so of being in that world and especially working in a third world country in Africa, you know, just seeing like we would do a a large feeding program or medical program. And, and then we would go back, you know, three to six months later, and we'd see some of the exact same issues um, that we thought we had solved, you know, on a previous trip. And so I I, threw a lot of frustration, just wanted to find something again, more sustainable. Yeah. Um, And that really led to the sewing. Um, I can't people say all the time, I mean, I'm not a sewer. I'm not a designer. I don't have a background in the industry. Um, But I just had some people around me at that time um, that were very creative. And I just love the idea of something creative for the women that we were serving to, you know, not only give them a living wage job and a skill, but also to give them dignity. I I really believe that when you create something beautiful, um, it really gives you a pride in what you're creating. And that's really what led into the sewing.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like, I mean, all that is so amazing. And really like, it, it seems like you came into this industry kind of from the mission side of it, rather than, you know, and you mentioned you don't have a background in the apparel industry or, you know, don't know how to sew. So it sounds like it really was kind of the mission first and then the, you know, the, the sewing came as a result of that, is that correct?
1: Yes, it, um, it's correct. And I mean, our former uh, name of our organization Um, really it was started as a faith-based organization with the name faith that works. And so I was always working also in empowering volunteers to find a niche that gave them empowerment and significance. I mean, um, you know, I, my, most of my adult life, I lived in a very, you know, I guess, um, upper class kind of, you know, suburbia. And I saw a lot of people, you know, kind of seeking significance in material things. And, and I thought, well, wait a minute. I mean, there's a lot of hurting people in the world and, you know, people want to find significance. I mean, I think service is a way to find that significance. And so I was always working with volunteers and trying to find out what their, you know, raw gifts and talents were and how they could use those to empower Um, the underserved, and at that time I had someone on my board of directors that was um, an excellent seamstress, and she painted, and she was very creative, and she would tell me all the time, like, I just don't really think I have much to offer, I don't, you know, have a lot of skills, and I just really pushed back on that, and I was like, yes, you do, I mean, you can sew, that's amazing, and she didn't really see that as, you know, a marketable skill, Um, but I really saw starting a sewing program was not only for the women that we served, but for this particular individual who, um, I think found a lot of meaning and significance in her life from starting our sewing program. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great point of how, you know, you mentioned dignity too, of creating something and realize, you know, and that kind of goes into both the the, you know, seamstresses who are then be able to have this skill and create something for a job that gives them kind of the practical necessities um, for that they need for themselves and their family. But also, you know, like you said, for the people who have those necessities and are looking for more meaning, that the skills that they have as well are also can bring dignity to themselves and others of like what they have is meaningful and can make a difference too. Um and get them get them outside themselves. It's really powerful. Um so kind of like it seems like the 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 business and even the name of the business and the or nonprofit um has really taken quite a journey. So can you kind of like lay out maybe a little bit of a timeline? Like when when did all this first start, it sounds like you've been working in the nonprofit world for a while. And then when did it kind of become the collective thread?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, we started the program in East Africa in 2015 with a small um, sewing room. And we grew that to having our own compound in um, East Africa near the Somalia border. And it was very um, place of unrest and women really fleeing uh, the war-torn region of Somalia and coming to Ethiopia for refuge, but not really having education or skill. And so those were kind of the demographic of women that we were working with. And so we purchased a large compound and we set up a sewing program there and um, we just taught sewing and we were making garments in East Africa with local fabrics. And we were bringing those garments back to the United States and we were selling them here and telling the stories of the women. And in that time frame between 2015 and 2016, um, we had employed some local East African people in St. Louis. There is a small community of East Africans in St. Louis. And we had employed them to help us with some of the culture understanding and language and um, translation of like some curriculum and materials and things like that. We were working closely in this group of people and they kept saying to us, well, we wanna learn to sew. I mean, we're from the same region and you know, our women are working in really difficult jobs, um, especially culturally working in hotels. Um, was difficult work and backbreaking work and um, janitors and hospitals. And they were really looking for some other opportunity of employment. And so we listened to that and we started a sewing program in the central West end where our loft studio space was at the time. And we just started a program. We found um, local volunteers and we were able to um we were able to, um, you know, have volunteers start the program and teach basic sewing skills. And, um, that's how it started in St. Louis. And it was about six months into our program in St. Louis, where I started getting approached by, um, local apparel brands that needed small batch manufacturing.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: Know were communicating to me how difficult it was to find that which I was unaware. Um, they were saying you know overseas is problematic for us. Like we're looking for smaller runs. Um, one of these individuals was Andrea Robertson of Triflare LLC in St. Louis, and um, Triflare was producing in LA. And she said you know I'm and it was very it was printed fabric. So she was purchasing the fabric. She was having it printed somewhere. Then it was going somewhere to be cut. And then it was going somewhere to be sewn. And mm-hmm. she was having to fly out to LA a couple of times a month. And she's a mom of three. And she said, this is just not sustainable. I, I just can't keep this up. I, I need to find something local. Um, at the time, Boost Apparel was a cut and sew facility in St. Louis that was really struggling and so I started meeting with Jana from Boost Apparel and started talking to Andrea and started seeing the opportunity of, I had this relationship with the refugee and immigrant community that had been established for some time and I had a group of sewers and that was what seemed to be needed in the industry. Um, so sometime after that, in like 2018, I believe it was boost apparel closed. So that was the only local, like independent contract cut and sew facility in St. Louis. And I just saw an opportunity really, to be honest, I thought, you know, what a great opportunity to marry, like the business side of this with the nonprofit and much more scalable than making our own products. But to have a customer base that would pay us for cut and sew, and we could, you know, employ more women, we could pay higher wages, we could um, phase out of selling our own products, which was very time consuming. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's where we kind of shifted. We started doing a lot of research in 2018, visited some other organizations that were doing similar work around the country, talked to a lot of people at the time, (laughs) um, did a lot of research. And then in late 2019, we rebranded as the Collective Thread. And then we moved to Washav in um, January of 2020.
0: Wow. Yeah. So it seems like there was really kind of things fell into place, like as you were pursuing like the mission of you know, bringing bring unified work to these women that you kind of saw a need and things kind of fell in place of like, okay, like the people here want to learn th- these skills and then also people here need to hire people with these skills. So it's like, it seems like it was really a perfect, perfect match of um, kind of both sides of it, of who it's for and, and kind of mutually beneficial to everybody. Um, and I totally love that, uh, having cut and sew, um, you know, factory here, because I feel like it's been something that's needed for a long time. Like there's such a thriving design community in St. Louis that I think a lot of people don't realize. Um, but then the community here is like, well, how do we get our stuff made? And like you said, often have to, you know, or often think they have to look to, you know, one of the coasts or something to to find that or overseas whereas for some brands you know it it may they may have everything they need here they just didn't realize it Um, or it might not have existed previously
1: so right absolutely
0: yeah so let's talk a little bit about like your team and the people you work with, because it seems like the people are your, your kind of primary motivation for all of this. Um, so who are you working with and does your team, and then the, you know, the people you're working with
1: and helping teach what, what do they look like right now? Yeah. So, um, we're building a great team. Um, we probably lack in some experience. Um, but feel very confident in what we've accomplished the last couple of years. Um, it's interesting that, you know, we have hired people that as being a nonprofit and being almost like at the same time, a new company, um, you know, we weren't able to just go out and recruit, you know, the top, you um, you know, experts in production and cut and sew. And so we took on some um, young, younger staff who maybe lacked an experience, but really believe and partner with our mission, um, came in eager to learn and um, really have kind of the same, um, I guess, DNA as I do, where you know, they, they get the mission, you know, they understand that this isn't just a business, that it is about the women that we serve. Um, We have some nuances as a women's empowerment organization of, you know, maybe a a regular business might not have where, you know, a lot of our women are refugees, they have, um, you know, history and hurts and trauma. And some of them, you know, have children at home, which, you know, they need flexible schedules and things like that. So I feel like our management staff, they really all understand that and and support that. Um, So with our management staff, we, um, Reed does all of our cutting um, and he helps with um, machine maintenance and things like that. He graduated from a great um, fashion design program in Iowa and came right out of college and took the position as like an intern position. Um, we have a CFO, Madison Mearsman, who's just wonderful. She's she's just a uh, does a lot of things here, um, not only just costing and pricing and handles a lot of the accounting, but she also does so herself and is quite good at it and can, um, in a pinch, can get behind a machine and um, can help with samples and customers and things like that because we also do product development here. So we are managing a lot of projects as they're getting designed and patterned and sampled and tech packs and things like that. So Madison's great um, with project management. Um, Hannah Graf is our production, assi- our production manager. So she oversees the women's shoes, a former volunteer here and taught in our free sewing school. And so that was awesome because some of the ladies that were in her classes when we did night classes back in the Central West Den are now working here. So she's, um, she's been here a little over a year. And um, then we have Caitlin Williams. She's uh, been here about six months. She replaced Annie Miller, who was actually a co-founder of The Collective Thread. And Annie um, resigned last June. Um so we were kind of scrambling, you know. Annie had a lot of the apparel industry experience. And when she left, we were like, okay, what, you know, now what? I mean, I'm the CEO of the company, I'm doing, you know, the business side of things, the development side of things, um, overseeing, you know, and managing the positions um here, but you know, she was really the one with the industry experience. So um I believe by faith, Caitlin. Came in and she um, is an expert. I mean, she's just doing so well here and um, does all of our pattern development, is training on the job some of our top sewers to do sampling and and things like that. And then we have about eleven sewers right now that um, are just some of them are in different um, areas of learning and some of them are already experts. So. Um, we do a lot of on the job training. If we see a promising student in one of our classes, you know, we can move them into on the job training and teach them on the job so they can get the technical skills of the industrial machines.
0: Nice. Yeah. So cool. It's like build, build the team around, um, yeah, your goals. And like you said, kind of the aligned values that you guys have in this, um, so, I mean, it sounds like the, the education portion in the classes, like, are you still doing classes then?
1: You know, COVID has been really rough for us. Um, yeah. We've had some classes we've had about, um, since we finished our um, last class right before, in like early March before COVID hit in 20. And then um, obviously we took a long break and then we started classes again um last spring and we had a couple of beginner classes and then we had another intermediate class and then we were start we were going to start another beginner class in January but with the spike in COVID we decided you know just protecting the 16 people that are here every day um Mm -hmm. felt probably wasn't wise to bring in a lot of people that um not sure like what they're vaccine statuses or you know where they're coming from or what you know so we just decided that we would delay that we're hoping to start up again in February um but we are you know on the job training we have about three women that are new to industrial sewing and you know we've put numbers to it 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 probably cost about nine thousand dollars per person to be completely trained um, and so, you know, we're raising funds for that, realizing that classes are great, but the, the, I think the real um, significant training comes on the job. Um, and I think, you know, if you have a level where this is an example, so we're doing a project right now for Pick the Gift and Pick mm-hmm. the Gift is a local company and um, they make swaddles that they wholesale two companies that um, sell like on Pinterest and different are not Pinterest. um, Etsy. Etsy, thank you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So it kind of blew up on Etsy for one of their clients. And so they needed, you know, they need thousands every week of these swaddles and they they, um, digitally print the swaddles for the company. So they needed them sewn and then digitally printed and their factory couldn't keep up with it. So they've outsourced it to us, and it's a great learning project on a cover stitch machine for us. So, mm-hmm. as an example, you know, one of our expert sewers can sew about a hundred blankets per day. And mm-hmm. somebody that's learning might be able to sew between 17 and 30 per day. Mm-hmm. And so the lost revenue of having a new person sew it per day. Um, also having a person training that new person, um, you know, is pretty costly as an organization. So that's where the nonprofit comes in is that, you know, we believe with the collective thread, we're creating a skilled sewing workforce for this community, not only for us, but for companies like Pick the Gift and Evolution St. Louis is looking to hire 60 sewers and mm-hmm. many companies contact us you know, weekly needing to hire sewers. So we really feel like that's the key with the nonprofit and the sewing school and the on the job training is that we will be able to eventually, once our, you know, quota of sewers is fulfilled, be able to develop these other sewers for other St. Louis based companies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. And it's so true. It's like really needed here. I feel like at any given time, there's like three to six companies that you know I personally know of that are looking to hire good industrial sandwich services. So yeah, that's cool yeah. that um the fact that you're a nonprofit and focused on kind of this job training and empowering these women that you're that that makes it you know part of part of your goal to do that that you know maybe a for-profit business may not see the the payoff in doing that right away but for you guys it's about the people and it's about giving them the the job skills and so you do that even though it is
1: costly so yes yeah it is costly and you know sometimes you you don't think about it I mean we we sort of you know having Madison here punching numbers all the time is is really a value to us because you know, there is a cost to everything you do, you know, and Mm -hmm. you have um, the overhead of now a growing staff and and your facility and machine maintenance and everything, you know, to take um, two or three weeks to train a new person on one product. Sometimes you feel like, I mean, we can't afford that. But again, if you supplement with donations or workforce development funds, you know, that makes that possible.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you have, um, I know you mentioned kind of volunteers a few times and, um, so what kind of support do you have around kind of that nonprofit side or, you know, are there fundraising efforts outside of just the revenue that cutting and sewing brings in or how do you kind of support the efforts of the nonprofit part of the business?
1: Well, so in my life before the Collective Thread, I did a lot of fundraising and development. That was my job before I started the nonprofit. And so I have experience in that area. Um, So to be honest, there were a lot of people that, you know, I developed over the years that were giving financially to most of our efforts in Africa. And since we've sort of, we've actually... Um, we're not working in Africa since the pandemic Um, Mm -hmm. that unfortunately affected what we were doing there. And we were able to donate to another nonprofit that's living and dwelling in Africa and able to take over what we were doing. So we've lost some of our donor base. So, you know, that is what we're kind of focusing on now is that in 2022, you know, just how do we collaborate with other organizations to help us fulfill this mission of providing a skilled workforce for St. Louis. Um, and to understand the value and what we do and, and what, how we can help this, you know, fashion ecosystem and the business of fashion in St. Louis. So we were, you know, had some pre- preliminary talks with, um, Monique, who's the new CEO of the fashion fund, and she's really on board and loves what we're doing. And, mm-hmm. um, talked to evolution and somersault and some of the bigger names of in fashion in st louis Mm -hmm. and just sort of trying to get some collaboration there also somebody that's on our board of directors is suzanne sierra who works at mosaic which is under the world trade center which they're working with economic development in st louis Mm -hmm. Um, you know just sort of trying to say like okay we can't just bring a big name like evolution here if they don't have a skilled workforce, you know, how do they continue? I mean, it's all about the workforce and, Mm -hmm. and how do we develop that, um, with these collaborations. So that's really our focus for 2022, um, and really building a model and a curriculum that people can really get excited about and, and get on board with helping us fund that.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And I think one thing during this pandemic that has made it so hard for a lot of companies in the fashion industry and beyond is the need for for workers and the need for you know good good jobs you know (laughs) like you know a lot of people are leaving jobs because of poor conditions or because of inequality or the lack of concern for these other, these other things kind of going on with, with people, you know, whether they have kids at home or they're, you know, the caregiver for a relative or something, or have, you know, a history or skills or situation that prevents them from, you know, being present for, um, you know, certain jobs that now there's this need where companies are like, oh, we need workers. And the workers are like, but we need, we need, to be treated as people too you know so That's there's kind right. of both of that going on that has even broadened that need for a skilled workforce and and dignified work
1: um, yeah and i'm sure you've seen this you've been in the industry but i have i mean it's changing a little bit now but even before the pandemic i'd have companies calling me And they, and I would say, well, what do you pay, you know, your, your workforce? What is is a typical sewer making? Mm -hmm. And when they tell me what they were making, I mean, it's not a livable wage. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to recruit people to the industry. You know, designers can't design without sewers. And I think Mm -hmm. there's kind of a disconnect in the, in the industry of the value of a seamstress. Mm-hmm. And what a really skilled seamstress is worth, and so we we always talk about that even to our customers. You know, when they're we have a little bit of a sticker shock when they see what you know it would cost to manufacture in the U.S. And you know, we're like, yeah, I mean, there's an advantage and there is a cost to um, production locally, and so
0: mm-hmm.
1: just all of these conversations that are happening about sustainability and, um, equal, you know, equal pay and a fair wage. And what is a fair wage and, um, a living wage. And all of these conversations are really great because I mean, yes, it might increase the price of our goods, but I think apparel prices could stand going up to support, you know, having something produced locally.
0: I totally agree. And I think, I mean, I'm always telling my clients this and I like really believe that like your factory and your seamstresses are huge resources for your brand and their work is super valuable and their knowledge is so extensive because they're the ones like doing this all day, every day and like making your product. So it's like, you know, like you said, the designer, you know, unless they're the ones sewing everything themselves, it's like. With without a factory, without seamstresses to make your product, like you have nothing to sell. So it's, right. a, it's an equal relationship there where I do think um, skilled sewing work is very much undervalued and in our society. And I think a lot of it is just a lack of education about what really goes into making clothes. Like I know some people who, you know, don't didn't realize before I was talking to them about this that it's still people at each machine sewing their clothes for the most part like there there are some things that might be automated and I know you guys have a um a Gerber cutter so that's more automated but like there there's a person at each sewing machine actually making the garment but for somebody who doesn't know how to sew and has never really thought about like all those steps and the skill and the actual you know human labor that goes into creating a product Mm -hmm. um and and manufacturing it like they don't realize that this takes time and effort and skill and you know should cost more than your your coffee order every day you know to buy a shirt or something
1: right
0: um that there there's a lot of value and skill um in the clothes that are made and I think though once people realize that they are more understanding of like, oh, this is why it costs this much to make something fairly and ethically and locally and to pay a living wage to the people in my community who are making this for me.
1: Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Raising that awareness is very important. And I feel like that's a lot of, with our customers, part of what, you know, Madison and I, you know, handle most of the onboarding of customers and it it is kind of educating them. Mm -hmm. Uh, We work with a lot of startups and, you know, they don't know what they don't know. It's not Mm -hmm. fault of theirs, but, you know, they just don't know. And, um, you know, I was talking to a woman, a customer, potentially new customer yesterday, you know, doesn't really even have a name for her company or anything. And she's not from St. Louis, but she said, you know, she was talking about prints and she really had no idea what went on, what went into having a printed fabric. Mm-hmm. And when we started talking about the cost of doing um, digital printing, you know, purchasing the fabric, printing the fabric, cutting the fabric, mm-hmm. sewing the fabric, you know, I mean, she started to realize like, wow, that's a lot of steps. And like everyone along the way has to get paid. Mm -hmm. the product that she was thinking about creating was you know a low price item Mm -hmm. and so it started to kind of dawn on her like yeah I don't know if I even really want to do this because I had no idea that it would cost that much Mm -hmm. um that you know digitally printing one yard of fabric can cost ten dollars a yard you know when you're already purchasing the base fabric at you know $4.99 Four ninety nine a yard, so you know you start to kind of analyze that, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. but we work with our customers. We want to help them save money too, and I think that yes, you might be paying more per piece to um, produce in the United States, but you're also saving in other ways that
0: mm-hmm. might shipping cost.
1: Yes. Time. And yeah. Mistakes and back and forth and shipping product back and mm-hmm. forth. Um, like if you get a sample and it's not what you want, you have, you know, just that back and forth is very expensive. The time that it takes, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of untangible things that I think make U.S. production um, very feasible for companies.
0: Yeah. Especially with all the supply chain
1: issues right now. It's like having
0: something local that you can, you know, go drive and pick up if you need to or something instead of having you know, it getting lost in shipping or take months and months or something. Um, yeah. like there's there's a tangible value to that
1: to actually have product to sell when you want to sell it to. Um right. I think Especially companies the beginning. I mean, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about that with our customers that we might be that that startup phase for you and, you know, do get huge. And then, then you'll have everything kind of solidified and then maybe go overseas or to a larger factory. But, you know, if you want proof of concept and you need product development, it's great to do that locally.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what is one thing kind of like on, on that side of things, what do you like to see designers like come to you with? Like if they're first meeting with you, What do they kind of need to have ready or thought through in order to get their product started with um, an organization like you?
1: Yeah, you know, our best clients are, um, first of all, people that have a financial plan. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, again, it goes back to not knowing what you don't know, but people thinking that unrealistic expectations about cost mm-hmm. um, I think just knowing sort of in general you may not know very specifically what it might cost in materials and production um, and having a general idea of like your price point point. Um, mm-hmm. if you want you know a woman's I don't know detailed button-down shirt made here in the U S and you want to sell it for $35, that's probably not going to be feasible. Yeah. Um, So just knowing that like back, you know, kind of knowing a price point, your audience, knowing who you're selling to just having a, a very specific idea of that before coming into our facility Um, we can work out the design issues with you. I mean, it is nice to have something to look at, a market sample or um, sketches or pattern. It's nice to have something to start from. If Mm -hmm. we don't have that, we can still help the customer, but the more specific they are on what they're looking for and what their brand is about. And also I asked this to the woman the other day that I was talking to, I said, you know, what is unique about your product? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of repeat things happening in the industry where you've already seen that, you know, 10 or 15 times, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, what are you doing different? Like what sets your company apart? And I think that just goes back to having, you know, a business plan is very important. And unfortunately there's a lot of people in apparel that kind of see things happening and blowing up on, you know, TikTok and Instagram, and they think that's so easy and they think that they can (laughs) do that. And it's actually not easy. Like the one out of a million that blows up on TikTok, how many are that never make it there, you know? So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think just being prudent, having a business plan, having money to go into it, knowing that this is going to cost to get something from concept to completion, And just being aware of that, you know, it's funny, we had a client a few weeks ago, and I was trying to explain that concept to them. And I feel like they got a little bit offended, like, and I wasn't shooting their idea down, but I was just trying to help them of saying, you know, this is, I mean, I could see there's there's stars in your eyes, but, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a reality here of, um, you know, and I just, I don't know why I feel like because it's a creative kind of world, the design world that you just run into a lot of people with that kind of unrealistic expectation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I see some of that too. And those are similar questions to what I asked kind of in initial um, calls with potential clients is, you know, what your target market is, what your target price point is, you know, about how many units do you plan to produce of this? Because as I'm sure, you know, like, doing a sample, you know, one sample is much more expensive than if you're doing a hundred pieces or a thousand pieces of something. Um, and so, yeah, that like making sure that they have a realistic expectation. And I think that, yeah, some people take offense to those questions of like, you know, why are you second guessing my design or, you know, I'm not hiring you to give me financial, you know, strategy advice here, but um, like, I just want you to help me make the product. But for, for anyone listening who's confused of like why these are important questions to your factory or your pattern maker, um, it's, you know, we, we want to make sure that you're successful. And so we don't want to, you know, have you spend lots of money hiring us to help you with something that then is going to lose you money in the end because you didn't think through like a critical piece beforehand. Um, and it's like, we want, we want you to know. be able to grow with you, you know, and, and have you stick exactly. around for the long run.
1: Yeah. So well, I don't want to get blamed, you know, for something. I, I kind of think it's like, if you're an interior decorator of a home, you know, you're only as good of a designer as the information your client gives you. Mm -hmm. you could have your own ideas and your own design and you could just go design their house and decorate their house the way that you your aesthetic but you know that's not why they're hiring you they're hiring you to kind of dig deep into their psyche and you know figure out what they like and and create something that is you know an expression of their personality Mm -hmm. and that design process takes time I mean I I feel like the the only clients that sort of kind of went away unhappy here were the ones that, you know, we just weren't communicating well, like we were all, Mm -hmm. we were talking, but we weren't like speaking the same language, you know, it just sometimes you say things over and over and it's like, they're not hearing you because they're kind of have their own idea. Mm -hmm. And so I think that um, we've learned as an organization that those preliminary consultations, what we do is they can, um, schedule a 15 minute call with me. And then I, we talk through all of this first before we ever go into a consultation with the designer. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of that's like who, like if this is a good client for us too, I think it has to mm-hmm. be both. You know, we have to be a good fit for them and, and um, they have to be a good fit for us. And, and we've kind of learned that the hard way. You know, everyone that calls us isn't always gonna be the right client for the collective thread.
0: And that's a really great point. I think another, well, several things you said, were, were, <laughs> I totally agree with. One is the communication piece, like setting the expectations, setting the communication up front so that you're on the same page from the beginning. You know what the goal is and you kind of know what you're working with and what you're working towards is, is so helpful. Um, And then the second thing being that like factories are specialized and just because you might not be a good fit for a particular client or they might not be a particular fit for you, they might be a perfect fit for the next factory because everybody has their own, like every product is different and the fabric is different and the, you know, price point construction is different. And so if you're not set up to do that efficiently it either will result in, you know, a more expensive cost than they could maybe get elsewhere, or a, a product with not as high quality if, like, the factory is not experienced in that in that area of you know, whether it be the material or they don't have the right machine for it. So, you know, all that is um, doesn't make one client or one factory good or bad. It's just finding like the right fit. For all of those pieces. That's the important part.
1: I agree. And I think we've had to learn that the hard way. And um, our, our plan in 2022 is we're focusing on women's apparel and nice. uh, we we've purchased some specialized equipment that will give us the capacity to do things more detailed hemming and some attachments and, you know, a two needle machine, which we did not have. I mean, things like that, um, kind of gearing up, um, currently we're doing some sampling for somersault and, you know, just doing some training for women, um, to really, um, up their level, their skill level, to be able to do more complex items. Mm -hmm. Um, And that means sometimes saying no to projects that really just don't fit into that niche, Mm-hmm. And it's hard because there's a lot of people locally that are coming to us like, wait, you're the only factory. Like, I would love to work with you. I love like being able to walk in and see see my product being produced. And, um, but, you know, we just really, we want to focus because we we recognize that we were kind of all over the place with what we were doing in the beginning. And we were just taking anybody that was walking through the door and it just wasn't good for us as a sustainable you know, business model.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we're really um, fortunate. We've gotten some, uh, few really bigger clients recently that are women's apparel and our women have learned so many things. And it's really exciting to see that, you know, they can make a button down shirt and, um, you know, some of the more complex waistbands and things and, um, gathers. And, um, so that's really exciting. Uh, where I feel like we're headed as an organization. And then it's, you know, then when we say no to someone, it's not, it has nothing, it doesn't have anything to do with that company. It really just Mm -hmm. has to do with the projection of our company and what we want to focus on and stay true to.
0: Yeah. So true. Yeah. And I also focus on women's apparel as well. So I, I get it. It's like refer, I'd rather refer people like, get a lot of people that reach out to me for kids' clothing. And it's like, I don't have experience with that. There's a whole bunch of legal requirements around like kids wear and you know what you can include or not include and like safety um requirements and stuff. And it's like I'm not up to date on that. So I'd rather refer those those brands to somebody who is an expert in that area because it'll save them you know time and money and they'll get a better product in the end with somebody who knows all that.
1: Right for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of kids wear right now, doesn't it seem like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're getting, we get a lot of inquiries for, you know, baby blankets and um, burp cloths and all kinds of things and, you know, children's wear. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've seen a, a kind of an uptick in that during the pandemic.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe people are at home with their kids more, or I know like several of my friends have had babies over the pandemic time and, um, maybe it's kind of more, more top of mind, or people are just pursuing kind of their long term passion. Like they've decided, you know what, now's the time, I'm going to do it. I've seen right. a lot of that too. Yeah. So, what is kind of like an ideal uh, customer? You mentioned women's apparel for you guys, like in terms of type of product, fabrication, size of the order. Um, cause I know a lot of people are looking for a factory. And so for those listening, I want to kind of give them, give them the information of like, who is the perfect brand to reach out to you.
1: Right. I would say that first of all, like the unit, the units that is pretty comfortable for us is between, you know, three to 500. Um, mm-hmm. we do take orders lower than that. Um, we prefer, and the costing is better when you go a little higher than one to 200. Mm-hmm. Uh, we Our minimum used to be 100, but actually with our new um, initiatives for 2022, we're increasing that to 200. And we just realized that, you know, the setup of, of a new project just takes a, a minute. You know, it just mm-hmm. reaches the machines, um, a little training, um, setup, cutting, And all of the, you know, the things that go into setup cost. So we're increasing our um, minimum um, Mm -hmm. to 200. And so that's kind of the the units. I mean, as far as fabrications, I mean, we've done, we've done a lot of um, stretch, but we also right now, we have large order with about six different styles that are like a linen um, and viscose. So, I mean, It just really, I wouldn't say we know for sure, like these are kind of the fabrications that we like to work with. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've worked with everything here. One thing we do not do, we we kind of phased out. We had some flat seaming machines and we actually got rid of those. So we're not really doing like high impact athletic wear. Mm -hmm. We sampling and product development for that. But I wouldn't say that we're set up to do production Production. Um, we can if it doesn't have a flat seam and it's a four-way stretch, or you know, we can handle that. Um, so we we have a pretty good array of skill set here. I think that there's probably almost I can't think of something we can't do. Um, and Caitlin is great. She's um, our head designer, and she's um, really great at breaking down steps and teaching um just steps and finding which sewer is going to be you know efficient at each step so that's kind of how we do it and then if there is something right now we have a men's button-down shirt that is a little complicated and um has like a gusset under the arm and different features that we've never done but we've done all of his product development sampling he's a local person and um you know we're training the women with that it's a great opportunity for us to train so we're doing a small run for him and that'll be great to like train the women so they you know have that under their belts as well
0: nice yeah that sounds really good so it's like helpful to know like you have the machinery for like these different types of products and everything because that's always um a big one
1: so we have you know we have four cover stitch machines. We have um, safety stitch. We're getting our two needle machine, which will have a lot of attachments for different finishes, you know, t- finishing necklines on t-shirts and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and then we have an array of single needles and sergers. And, you know, we even have a blind hammer. So, you know, we have a heat press machine, um, button machines, um, uh, snap setter so we I think we have a lot of things so we can do a lot of you know different projects here
0: mm-hmm. cool um so I'm curious what has been the biggest challenge so far since starting collective thread <sighs> besides COVID <laughs> <laughs> I mean COVID was de- it's definitely a challenge I think yeah,
1: that counts. I'm, yeah. I'm so tired of talking about it um, yeah I mean, I, I would like to say, you know, I was talking to a friend recently and I said, you know, we know the negative of COVID, but there are a lot of positive too. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, we moved into this facility in 2020 in January and COVID hit in March Mm -hmm. and you know, a lot of clients just fled, you know, they, they put a halt on projects, um,
0: yeah. For me as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. Spring pretty- of
0: 2020 was slow.
1: Yeah. Very slow. The summer was slow. Then people kind of started coming out of their home a little bit and venturing out and, and but it really took until I think this past summer of 21, where we really started getting back to the regular business of manufacturing. Um, so that was a challenge, but it also brought certain, Things like we received a $450,000 grant from the state of Missouri um, in the Retooling and Reshoring Act. So we were able to get our Gerber patterning and our Gerber spreading and cutting system, which was a huge game changer here. Yeah. Um, doing automated cutting. I don't know how we did manual cutting (laughs) and we did, I I mean, we had electric knives and we spent days cutting one project where as now, you know, that same project is taking an hour. So um, that was a huge game changer, but I think the most challenging thing, and I think it's just the industry. I don't think it's due to COVID, but COVID certainly hasn't helped is the workforce. Um, Mm -hmm. I just think, um, yeah, there's just not enough sewers and, you know, recruiting sewers and keeping those sewers is, is a real like constant effort.
0: Mm-hmm. Or um, training new
1: ones. It sounds like too. Training. You know, training is expensive. And I was a little naive with that. Like I'm talking about my customers who are naive, but I was naive. Like, not being a sewer, I thought, oh yeah, you just take a class, a six week class and you should be good to go. But it's much more than that. I mean, when I'm talking about this, these different machines and technique and then speed and accuracy, I mean, that takes a lot of muscle memory to teach. It's not going to happen, you know, in six weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, That has been a challenge. Um, you know, you project a costing for a job and then you're costing, you end up losing money on the job because you have a beginner on the line. Mm-hmm. And that really impacts, you know, your productivity. So um, we're working on that. Um, that is something that we're gonna be addressing um, in our strategic plan, which we've been working on is, is really about education this, this year. Um, because our future sustainability is going to be contingent on having a reliable workforce Mm -hmm. um, you know a lot of our women as I mentioned are refugees and you know if their child is sick from school they're staying home their husband is not able to take you know equal part in that and so that's a challenge having mainly women um, uh, some of them who have children at home you know They're not always here every single day where, you know, things come up and um, COVID comes up. And so that is when you tell a customer, yes, your project's going to be done in two weeks, roughly, and then you have three people out.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So, yeah, we're, we're addressing that um, and trying to, you know, find solutions for that problem.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and some of those things are just like completely outside of our control, you know, COVID and such, or it's, it's it's hard to, you know, really plan for that, even, even if you double the timeline from two to four weeks or something like, still, some of those things, it's just like, no matter how much you plan, it's, it's not going to stick to it necessarily, but yeah, I can see how right.
1: those are big like, challenges. And if you're a challenges. factory, you, you have cost whether your production your production is going mm-hmm. or not. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's what's difficult. It's it's like those overhead costs don't go away and, and your production is factored in, you know, it's a pain for those overhead costs. But then when you price a job out at, you know, two weeks and it takes four weeks, you know, that's not the best. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but we have a great team and, you know, it's great to have people in the man on the management staff that can like, sew as well. Mm-hmm. So if we have an empty seat one day, someone can jump in there and help. And um, we're just, we're, we just always have pr- pride, pride in ourselves. That's not the right. I
0: think it um, is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And being nimble, you know, when Annie and I started, we were just like, we have to be able to pivot. And I think every business that is going to make it through this pandemic. You just have to pivot Mm -hmm. uh, or you're not going to make it. And we've seen that, unfortunately, so many businesses close. Yeah. So
0: on the flip side, though, I know we're getting close to time, but I want to ask, what are you most proud of?
1: I'm most proud of my team. I, you know, I just think that everyone here is just really here. We have a very great culture. I mean, there's always room for improvement, um, but we have fun here. It's a fun place to be, and and they work hard, and and they. But I think that they enjoy one another, and there's a real sense of community here, and a real. I mean, people, our customers come in and say like, "There's such a great vibe here," and um, and so I'm really proud of that. I mean, I think that's something that just stays true to the mission. And, you know, I think just building a business and leaving the mission would have been, you know, not being true to who we really are, DNA as an organization. So
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I
1: think that's what I'm most proud of is our people.
0: Awesome. So cool. So I have one question that I ask everybody at the end of the interview, which is if you could communicate one value to the world to the close, in your case that you make, um, what would it be?
1: Through the clothes, mm-hmm. hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think it probably, you know, goes back to our mission statement is, you know, we believe in we're empowering women to make beautiful things. And that I think beauty is any art. I think clothing is an expression of art and beauty and, and just to represent the beautiful women that are making those clothes. Mm -hmm. And I hope that there would be more awareness in the world of, you know, when you think of Apple and you think of the technicians and Steve Jobs, I mean, it's like, you know, like there are people that are creating this and those people are celebrated. And I would just hope in the apparel industry that there would be more of a knowledge and understanding of, you know, the women that are making your clothes. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Well, this has been such a great conversation, Terry. Thanks for joining me today. Um, where can people find out more about The Collective Thread and you guys' mission online?
1: Well, you can call us at 314-536-3112 or you can visit our website, which is um, thread all one word, dot org. Um, we'd love to... Um, You can fill out, if you want an information meeting with me, you can fill out our calendly there and set up an appointment with me. And I'd love to talk to you more about your product.
0: Cool. I will include links to that in the show notes as well. Thanks for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me, Allison. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Haynes, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.